Let me ask you a question. You, you never really remember the beginning of a dream, do you? You always wind up right in the middle of what's going on. I guess, yeah. So how did we end up here? Well, we just came from the... Uh... Hello, everybody, and welcome to the movie calendar. My name is Lee. And my name's Terence. And this week, we're going to be talking all about Christopher Nolan's uh, 2010 mind-bending, world-changing, film-changing Inception. <laughs> bring in the bring in the Hans Zimmer score straight straight away. Um, yeah, this uh, this film is is huge. Might even be the biggest film that we've talked about. No offense to the other movies that we've done so far, but um, but this one has been uh, wildly requested by a few people, mm. um, as well as uh, yeah, one that that we have wanted to do for a long time. And uh, and so here we are. Yeah, this is going to be a 10-minute episode, nothing much to talk about here, nothing to break down, not really visually effective at all. Script writing, just boring. Yeah, Yeah, not very good characters and just, you know, there's nothing really visually interesting. (sighs) Yeah. This one did my head in. Yeah, this film is is incredible. Terrence and I, this was actually the first film in movie calendar history. Terrence and I watched this movie together this week. It was great. Uh, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, we <laughs> came came over and we had some burgers and and, and beers and uh, in moderation, of course, and watched uh, and watched Inception. And yeah, it was just one of those ones where Terence, you were even like, "Oh, if it's okay, this might be the only chance I get to watch it this week. I'll just have my phone out to take notes." Uh, and it was out for about the first forty seconds of the film, yeah. and then it was just eyes glued to the screen. Yeah, I uh, couldn't. it was amazing. I couldn't. I had to just collect all my thoughts about it and next day just try and jot a few things down that i remembered i did have it running earlier on today just in the background just trying to catch a few things but it's always good with films like this to watch it and let your mind absorb into it even just up to minutes before i I called you for this episode uh, i had another thought come into my head and i don't even know where i wrote it down so it'll come to me sometime during this episode i'm sure but that'll uh, probably happen to you for the rest of your life with this film you'll you'll wake up in in 20 years time and go oh what about this bit so I guess for everyone that's watching and listening to this now, add this one to the repertoire of the hundreds of little films and videos you've well, films and videos videos and and little articles you've read about the theories of this film. Add this one to the list. But uh, I don't think we're not going to go we're not going to go too deep into what our theories are. Um, no, we're going to I will say that at the end of this episode, uh Terence and I will definitively answer and we don't know each other's answers to this as to whether we think the whole film is a dream or not. Uh, and so we don't know. So little teaser for for the end uh, of the episode. That's where we're gonna we're gonna put that in. Um, the usual uh, nonsense is gonna be here as well. Uh, time codes in the description below. Whether you're watching on YouTube uh, or listening via your favorite podcasting app, uh, mm-hmm. we're breaking this episode down into writing and world building, uh, visual storytelling, uh, using practical effects and and CGI. Uh, and then the characters we're going to get into as well. So only those three things we thought we'd focus on for this episode because we don't want it to go for too long. I know we say that every week, but uh, we'll, we'll see how we go. Uh, before we get into our usual um, what about whens at the end, we've got an amazing what about when from someone who loves this film, uh, a good friend of ours. Uh, and then we'll add the film to the movie calendar and then announce the next block of four films uh, that we're going to be putting on the calendar. We've got those uh, ready to go, which is uh, marvelously exciting. Yes. Uh, what? Uh, one more thing. If you haven't seen Inception, go and watch it. Don't Please. listen to this any further for fear of disappointment when you watch the film. It will mean nothing to you when we talk about it 
just watch it. We're going to spoil it if you haven't. Big yeah, spoiler. Definitely. There. Definitely give this one a watch. It's a, it's an absolute recommend. There's a reason why it's going to be on the movie calendar. It is just a, a mind-bending mm. film uh, and very high concept. Um, the reason why we're talking about it, we should say, uh, we chose this week to put the episode out because um, Christopher Nolan's Tenet is supposed to be coming out uh, in a not-so-global release, but here in Australia it is being released uh, the week that this episode is dropping. I actually have my ticket here, uh, so by the time this episode comes out, I will have already seen the film. Uh, I, I cannot describe how excited I am. It will be my first movie experience going back um, since we've kind of all been in, in lockdown. So I'm not sure how it's going to work. Um, I've got a mask ready to go. Um, obviously keeping clean hands and administering social distancing. I encourage everybody to do the same who is going into uh, into a theater or just out in public, uh, no matter where you are in the world. Lee just showed one ticket, but he actually bought every single seat in that cinema to make sure that that is not an issue at all. You sit where you want, you run around. Do you run around the cinema as well? I sit, I watch the opening scene and I jump around, I jump over the seats and I sit at the back and you don't do This that? is why we can't go to movies together. This is, you're like a giant child. Um, oh, I no, I, I run down the front. You, you made go, a joke, but I, I genuinely thought about hiring an entire cinema so that I could go and see it for from fear of that. If anything happens in between recording this episode and me going to see this film that requires us to go into lockdown, I am going to be so mad uh, because this is all I have in my life. Apparently, is is cinema. So no, I want to see okay. you dramatically tearing that ticket into shreds oh, on camera. And then I've got it. Roll it up in the air. Can't wait. Uh, I can't wait. I might give my my thoughts on the on the next episode just very quickly on it, uh, if people are interested in that. But yeah, I'm I'm super excited. But cool. without any further ado, um, we'll get into the film discussion. So we've got Christopher Nolan's Tenet, both directed. Oh, sorry, not Tenet. I've just got Tenet on the mind. Inception. <laughs> yes, we do. It's been Tenet has been incepted into my mind by the cinema because uh, I'm just too, I'm too excited to go and just see something again and sit in that perfectly temperatured room. Um, Christopher Nolan's Inception, ten years old this year. Uh, mm. In fact, almost to the to the month or to the week um, wow. at the recording of this one, it's about ten years uh, ten years old. So yeah, written and directed by Christopher Nolan, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ellen Page, Tom Hardy, Ken Watanabe, Cillian Murphy and uh, Marion Cotillard. Uh, the score by Hans Zimmer, which we were kind of joking around with before. Uh, my favorite piece from the film score is uh, the Mombasa scene. If, if you, whatever, whatever music streaming app you have, just look up the Inception soundtrack and listen to Mombasa. It is incredible. It's the foot chase that, um, uh, that Leonardo DiCaprio has when he's running from the bar. And it's just, it's an exceptional piece of score. It's so good. I want to write that down. I could ask you later and find out, but I'll forget to ask. I'm getting paper and I'm running that down. Feel free to write it down and I'll give people a brief overview. If you're here and you haven't seen the film and you just want to listen to us, that's cool. Um, a brief rundown of it, if I can if I can give it a try. It's a heist film. Uh, so this is Christopher Nolan's take on a heist film. So it's very high concept. Uh, it's about a team of thieves who specialize in extracting information from people's minds through their dreams. Uh, they're tasked with an impossible mission to plant an idea into somebody's mind through inception. Amazing. So that's what it's all about. Uh, and we get to see it, yeah, pulled off in the most visually interesting way that it possibly could be going into people's minds and all of the things that are capable with that using cinematic uh, language and storytelling. 
Um, but yeah, we're going to jump straight into the world building and writing. Um, do you have anything that you'd like to jump straight in with, with the writing or world building, Terence? Uh, I don't even know where to start, but <laughs> watching it, like, I don't know if it's cyclical, like the way that, because Christopher Nolan wrote this, right? He did. What is wrong with this guy? What has happened to him to <laughs> what think happened in to you, man? loops and things like this? Um, I just, I found it hard to find out where I was. The, uh, the opening scene on the beach, pretty cool. You know, you're, you're totally thrown from the, from the get-go. It starts with a really big question mark. Who is this guy? Why is he on a beach? He's got a gun. Who is the person in this room that he's being walked into? You know, he, he writes this really, really well. He grabs your attention from the word go. Um, the, the way they cut from Saito being the old man to being the, the young version of himself in that, in that same scene, the way they cut that is really nice. And that's kind of the way that he writes the whole thing. Everything intercuts beautifully with each other. And, but just the, the depth that he's thought of to go into with, these levels are they levels or layers dream uh, oh, you could they interchangeable they they use us they use the term either layer or level i can't remember um level just to think about the levels and even the the detail of how time works in each one you know taking that from from reality i'm guessing there's a bit of science that he's looked into as well you know with the dream uh, dream state that people go into and you know that realization when when Cobb is explaining to Ariadne in that in that cafe how, um, well, not explaining it there, but when they wake up and he says, you know, we've been we've only been out for five minutes, how time has a totally different relevance, you know. So just that minute detail is crazy, and I, I just part of the way I kept thinking, how did they storyboard this? How did they actually oh, draw? It would have been exhaustive. Just incredible. And the, the director of photography, like to be able to bring these things to life and the effects and everything, but we'll talk about the practical effects. I think I was just just totally thrown into this world and I was I was I was ready to be taken on this ride. I had no idea where it was going. And yeah. uh, it was just it was just magic. I'd never seen anything like it. And you've got some some classic scenes in here that are that are in cinema history. You can just show a flash frame from this film probably 100 years from now and and you'll know exactly which film it's from yeah well we'll get to the visuals in just a sec yeah. um but yeah this this script uh, christopher nolan had the idea for this film it's a completely original idea as well it's not based off anything in particular a lot of his other films had been up until that point mm. um uh oh my god i completely forgot what i was going to say this makes for great content um yeah so he started developing this in 2002 uh, he went to Warner Brothers after he was releasing his third film, which was Insomnia, and was like, I've got this idea. And so he pitched it, and they were like, cool, that sounds good. Um, we, we green light it, ready to go. You just go and write the script. He's like, cool, with this one, I think I might just do a, a spec script up. So just like a loose one. It might take me a couple of months, and then we'll, we'll bring it in and see where we go from there. And he took eight years to develop the script before taking it back to Warner Brothers to, to get it done. Uh, but it was eight years well spent because like this, it's such a... It's such a high concept idea of, you know, diving into people's minds to extract information and just that, that technology being readily available. And, uh, he, you know, he tries to ground it in a way where 
um, you know, it makes sense because this was a it was a military application yeah. is what this this was invented for, so that soldiers could, you know, train feel feel what it was like and do training to like yeah. strangle and and stab and shoot each other and what that felt like in a quote unquote real world environment before being brought back into into reality. But yeah, it's just it's so well realized and for something that just shouldn't make sense it makes way more sense than it than it should um, especially on multiple viewings there are issues with it with the script um, which i'll get to in in just a little bit but on the whole um, it's just such a marvelous idea and full of really interesting characters and and yeah and and pulled off in we'll talk about in a moment in one of his the most visually interesting ways possible he's a he's an absolute master of his craft yeah i, I think the um uh th- this concept kind of falls into the same category in the way that the audience would think about it and to try and analyze it the same way that an audience would think about any time travel film where you're continually revisiting and saying, hang on, but then this would have to affect this and this would do this and this. So I could see the same type of people really indulging themselves in research and going really deep with this. Uh, there would have been many, many scientific studies on this as there have been with, with time travel. Uh, but, you know, I think he's, he's really struck a nerve with, with f- a fandom here with a very specific uh, niche a really cool genre of this dream world. Yeah, he's he's not afraid of stuff like that as well. In fact, he he loves it. Like just just messing around with the ideas of film as a storytelling mechanism because mm. there's no one way to do it and he he shows that every time he makes something whether it's from uh his well, no I know that it technically wasn't his first film but it's recognized as his first small film memento where like just the way that that story is told of just not linear and yeah you know kind of it's telling the story forwards and backwards at the same time through to inception uh which we're talking about this week and then interstellar a very divisive film um sort of messes around with time travel a little bit in there and then of course we haven't seen tenet yet but uh i'm it's it does something to do with time travel we have no idea as to what it's about i have no idea as to what it's about and i've seen the trailers if you've been avoiding the trailers for that film, which is like, oh, I don't want to have anything spoiled for me. It's fine. You can watch it. It tells you nothing about the movie whatsoever. Nothing to um, you, Lee. Nothing to you. Yeah, I've, uh, Someone if, else is going to say figured out, If you've figured out what that film is about by watching the trailer, then, then well done to you. You are infinitely smarter than I will ever hope to be. I know someone that's avoiding the trailer for fear of anything. He wants everything just to surprise him. And that's fine. I understand that mentality as well. I do it mm. with certain films, but Nolan ones I I trust because they're not they're just not going to show anything. Mm. He's he's too good for that. Yeah. I really like the idea of uh, dreams in this universe acting as your subconscious, um, and yeah, the entire concept around that idea where you know you've got projections of your subconscious look like people in this world, so that you can just have an architect create a dream structure. And then you're the target, and so your subconscious fills that world with itself, and you can extract information by talking to your subconscious or looking for areas that would be um, difficult to break into, like a safe or a bank or something. Like they explain it so well. This mm. this movie is could could literally be called exposition. The film. There are so many questions that are asked in this movie. This dialogue is more than half just question asking. Yeah, uh, it's a, especially from especially from Ariadne's character. And I can't wait to talk about that in just a minute because she's kind of the eyes that, that the audience is. Yes, um, they needed the her 
for the yeah. audience to understand what the hell's going on. But her her entire character is just uh, uh, asking, "What's this? What does that mean? What's this?" and it kind of gets a little bit grinding on multiple viewings, but like yeah. you, you, but you need it at the same time. Like yeah. that's literally my only objection with the film, and I might as well I'll do it now. Is that um, because it is such a high concept idea and it's so dense, there is just so much exposition, and it doesn't. It's not as if it's exposition for the first half, and then once the world's built and we've established the rules, then we can go. There's still exposition being done well into that like they get into the third act where they're going into fish's mind uh, and then that first layer and we're like oh he can't die if we shoot him he won't wake up because we're sedated and i understand that that's a change from the rules that we've previously known so it has to be stated but they say it two or three times in that one scene where eames is like cool so we're trapped down here and if we die then we get sent to limbo and our brains turn to mush and like you, you literally just said that like four sentences ago you don't need to do it over and over again yeah uh, but at the same time they do because it's like the audience has to be able to keep up and, and if yeah. you lose them then it's really hard to to be uh, involved in the narrative so it's a it's a fine balance but um i think the the exposition and that heavy dialogue works for the first few times you watch it but then after you know the concept then it's just that dialogue just kind of gets in the way from you enjoying it like i know all of this stuff get to doing the cool things well look people i'm sure people don't make films so that but, well, look, I think it's every every filmmaker's dream to make a film that gets watched over and over and over and over again. I guess with films like this that are such high concept and densely densely thought out, it, it you'd have to really explain nearly everything to make sure that the audience can actually stay with you the entire way. And then after yep. that, yeah, as you said, it might get a bit grinding, but I think it's more important that people understand what's going on rather than get lost partway through and lose faith in the film yeah uh, look i agree I but they and and i absolutely agree they should they should tell the audience as to what's happening or use visual storytelling to explain what's happening would be even better yeah um, but where you can't and you need that exposition it's fine but don't do it more than once <laughs> if you've already established a thing and that's what it is uh then then you don't have to keep explaining it like have have a little bit of um uh, what's the word uh, for your like a bit of respect for your audience? Yeah, uh, that I'll, they can that they can figure it out. Yeah, I agree with that. I like a film that does respect its audience. I think one that that got me was when um, Cobb was with Fisher in the second layer. You know, in the restaurant scene where he actually yep. plays the what is it, Mister Mister Charlie, Mister George, Mister Charles, Mister Charles. And, you know, and, and his character portrayal is meant to tell Fisher that he's in a dream, right? And they run into the, the men's bathroom and the two, the two projections come in and, and he kills them. And Fisher's like, okay, well, I know what to do. And he holds the gun to his head. Yeah. That, that shocked me. And not shocked me. That threw me a little bit. I thought, oh, yeah, they never thought, what if he shoots himself? He's out. That's it. And he had to kind of say, don't do it because of this. Yeah. And I, I can't remember if that was... He was lying to him, right? He was trying to convince him. No, he him. wasn't. Like, if, if he'd have killed himself, yeah. he would have fallen into limbo because they're sedated. Um, and oh, the that's sedation right. they means that if they up. die in the dream, they don't wake okay, up. They yeah, go into right. limbo where their mind gets scrambled, which, again, they yeah, say this, okay. like, three or four oh, times see, in, I like, ten minutes. I was thrown by that. I th yeah, I yeah, okay. Look, I, 
first time I watched it was when it was released in the cinemas long, 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 long time ago. And because I didn't write notes this time, because it was too bloody of a really cool film to watch, uh, <laughs> that one just went whoof, straight yeah, over my head. That's fine. That's, that's what the I'm point, here for. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's I really point. like, um, we'll jump to the ending real quick, the writing, because I really like oh, the we'll... fact that they keep it ambiguous. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, where you're, you're not too sure. I, I really like that, where they don't have a definitive thing that happens. And I'm sure that'll come up a little bit later in our, yeah, in our what about when section. Um, um, another look, really cool I thing. Will, I yes. will say about that, that I think endings in films like that, if they're done well, which this one was, do ultimately show respect for the audience. You know, they, they yeah, don't it allows have to them spell to make up everything their own out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It allows them. And while there may be an answer, we, we may never know or we may know definitively because we've studied the film, but we, we never know. I don't know if he's ever gone on record saying what it is. He, he has. Hope. Christopher Nolan has. What? But I will well, talk around that when we, when we get to it. I'll bleep your face out when you say it. No, no, no. It's it's quite interesting. Um, okay. I think it's quite interesting. We'll, we'll keep it in. All right. Um, I really like the way that oh, how they... Actually, no, we might get into that in visual storytelling. Um, I All like right. that when they get... When you have kind of learned and established the rules of the world that you're in, and we actually are getting into the heist once the team is made, they've got the idea, they just need to get Fisher and start it, mm. um, that the stakes then get raised, which they do in any heist film. It's It's very classic storytelling surprisingly yeah. enough for, for such a uh yes yeah, so, i keep saying high concept it's because it is for such a high concept idea like once we're in the dream you know we find out that you can't die in this dream now because if you do you'll you'll die in real life essentially your mind will yeah the rules will, will just go um because you'll live in limbo for almost eternity um, and when you come back, you just won't be there. Um, the fact that Fisher's mind has been trained so that there are like soldiers in there protecting him uh, raises the stakes as well. That was really cool. Um, the fact that they're just going so deep that they sort of don't know what's going to happen. Um, mm. Yeah, there's all these really cool things to, to keep it um, keep it interesting once the rules have been set up. Uh, and I think that's that's a lot of fun. They don't know what's going to happen. Cobb knows what's going to happen, or at least he has a better idea than anyone else. No, well, Cobb mean, deliberately hides, doesn't. But he, he hides he, he hides the fact that he... No, in terms of like what some of the consequences are as they keep oh, going yeah. down. In terms of what yeah, happens... Well, that's yeah. another thing. Because he's not the architect. He's keeping something from them that is going to negatively affect the mission. Yeah. Um, you know, as you mentioned... As you mentioned, this is a heist film. I remember this is one of the thoughts that I had as I was driving back after watching the film with you. I, I was thinking, hang on, this is just like any other film where the dad is going to do anything to get back to his family mixed with Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. This really elaborate plan. And the best part of the film is watching the plan stuff up and how they get through all the bumps along the way. That's yeah. it. That's all it was. That's all yeah. it was. Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, no, it's it's really good. Um, for all of the things that I don't like, I think the the script is just fantastic. Mm. Um, and yeah, well put together. Like it, I can understand why it took so long to develop because uh, it's just a uh, it's it's so well done. And I'm yeah. so glad that Christopher Nolan was the one who made it because just the visuals behind it are incredible. And with that amazing segue, we mm -hmm. can jump into visual storytelling with the use of practical and visual effects um the, the cinematic 
the cinematic language and storytelling in this film is just crazy. I'm just going to point out one in particular mm. before we dive into this, and it's during the cafe scene with Cobb and Ariane, uh, Ariadne, uh, where they just appear in this in this moment and they're having a chat. And as an audience member, nothing, there's nothing that would indicate that anything else is, is going on other than it's just them having a chat. Uh, and then he starts talking about, well, you never really know at the beginning of a dream, do you? It always starts and you're you're already in there. That was that was this and she's like, massive light bulb and she's for like, me. Like, well, yeah. And she's like, well, how did we get here? Yeah. And she's like, well, we just came from the... And from pauses. The and then she's like, wait, this, we're dreaming. She's like, it's okay. And the world starts to shake when she's mm. realizing. And and like that. So that that use of that cinematic technique, of which is used in literally every film ever, of just we come into a scene and it's already established. Like a character will be coming home from work. You'll see them at the office and then all of a sudden they'll be at their front door opening it. Like we don't see the, the travel home because we don't need to. Our brains are smart enough to put the two things together. So when we see him training her and then them at a cafe, we just assume that it's just a regular old day out in the real world. And it's yeah, a really clever kind of pull out from the rug using a cinematic technique to establish a, uh, a concept and idea within the film itself. And it's just so clever. And they are found everywhere in this movie. Where, you, where you're switching from reality to dream. Is that what you mean? No, yeah, just or just just using cinematic techniques um, to introduce concepts, the mm. concepts in this film of of being in different layers and dreaming in the subconscious and well, they uh, yeah, it's, they it's even, really cool. They even do one with uh, Arthur's character when Arthur and Cobb are in the plane uh, right near the beginning, and I, I don't know why I remember it. Arthur's eating a salad, <laughs> and he's he's. He's, they're facing each other on the plane and, and this private jet and he's eating a salad. I don't know. He was talking while he was eating. Very rare to see that in a film. Except for Brad Pitt films. He eats in every scene. Oh, he does it And in talks everything. with his mouth full. How good is he when he does it? So they're talking, talking. And Arthur goes, hey, why are we in Paris? And that was the... F- like, I got a little question mark on my head when that happened. And that kind of thing happens yeah. all throughout. Yeah. We need an architect. Yeah. Yeah, so the yeah. the visual the visual effects, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that we're going to talk about in What About When that we're just, we're going to have to talk about we, here because yeah, yeah, they're just nuts. Of course. Like the, the entire training scene with Ariadne when he's showing her what, the, what she can do in the dream world for the first time and she just starts building things. Uh, and, playing and with unleashing, physics. Unleashing, unleashing, yeah, the unlimited creation by mm. messing around with physics is just outstanding and to see that in a cinema was just mind-blowing at the time when it came out like no one had ever seen anything like it to that scale i think the the most the most impressive camera work that i'd seen was the old shot of someone going to their bathroom mirror and the camera's directly behind them but you don't see it in the mirror so there's some really good good trickery there and this one where she pulls the big door of mirror and you, you're watching. You're, oh yeah, that happens when you wait. Where's the, where's the camera? Obviously, some nice CGI there, but um, and you know, matte detailing and, and painting it out. But just playing with your mind like that because you know the reality of this being a film, and you expect certain constructs to still ring true. You know, if the sun is behind the camera operator and they point to the ground, you're going to see a shadow of the camera on the floor. We know this. We don't think about it. But we know that would happen. But to be able to 
pull those doors shut and have those mirrors. What that an was incredible. incredible piece of... That was, that was one of the things I was thinking when I thought, how do you storyboard this? And even with... When she pulls that first mirrored door around, everyone notices this. I don't know if anyone verbalizes it or picked up on it the same way that I did, but the camera kind of follows her up the stairs. She just grabs this door out of nowhere and starts closing it as Leo continues to walk and the mirror angle keeps Leo in that perfect part of the frame, almost like the camera's tracking him. It just, it just, just made me go a little bit crazy. Yeah, it's gorgeous. My head was hurting. Yeah, it's, it's stunning. That whole, that whole scene is just absolutely beautiful. The explosions. Um, The explosions. I really like the practical effects as well. Like there are surprisingly very few visual effects shot for a film of this scale. Like your usual blockbuster will have something like 2000 or more visual effects shots. Mm. This film has something like five to 600 because they did so much practically like the, the Penrose steps uh, Mm -hmm. were actually built. Um, Actually, actually both of the, both of the, the staircase scenes with, um, uh, with Arthur in them. Yeah. What do they call paradox? Done practically. Yeah. The paradoxical staircases, Um, the avalanche that occurred was all practical. Mm. Uh, The hallway fight, which we are absolutely going to talk about the hallway fight um, in the what about when section, but we'll touch on it here is just, that's all practical besides the removal of the, the wires using CG. Um, Like they built that and had those actors and stunt performers Mm -hmm. in there tumbling around and fighting each other was just amazing. All the zero G stuff was done practically. Um, Like there there's, there's a very little CGI trickery trickery. Uh, The, like the train through the street in yeah, the, that was a real train, right? Level. That was a real train in the street pushing cars out of the way. Yeah. Unreal. I wonder if that would turn out to be more expensive or cheaper than trying to create it in CGI. I don't know. I think it's more Christopher Nolan is just considers himself an auteur. And so he's like, I would never, I would never degrade myself. If I can do something practically, I will do something practically. Yeah. Why not? Why not? I mean, they're just all just good, shells good of vehicles anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember actually when so cool. when we watched it just the other night, yeah. uh, there was a moment that I heard you go like you just sort of stopped and went, "Oh wow!" <laughs> and it was it was when Cobb was explaining how when he was in limbo for fifty years or whatever it was um, with his wife, uh, they were down there so long that they were able to like create all their own things, and so they were they were on the sand and they had a bunch of sand castles, and he like pushed one and caved it caved it down and in the background you saw yeah. one of the skyscrapers just crumble yeah. and you literally i heard you under your breath just like oh that's impressive <laughs> i forgot about that you know the yeah the scenes where in when they're in that really deep level uh just have this this otherworldly look to them because that was where they they created their own world it it felt eerie and and dystopian and really uncomfortable and just the magnitude of it these huge buildings just collapsing and how well they did it especially the first one you see where it um first one i don't know the one where you see it fall into the water as they're walking out of the surf and it falls and splashes into the water i like watching these things where physics is depicted 
but in obvious CGI, and I try and pull it apart and go, nah, water yeah. would have would have not bounced off it that way. The waves are too small. Oh, it's for so that. realistic. It was incredible. It was incredible. Yeah. The way the gravity fell, the way it affected the water, so good. Yeah, it's amazing. <sighs> yeah. That whole that whole layer of subconscious in that sort of fourth layer down where they die and go to limbo. It's it's called in the film. It's called like raw subconscious or mm. empty subconscious yeah. where there's just literally nothing down there and so you just create your own world um, and you do that so much that you just get lost down there uh, and that becomes your reality oh, uh, was, of, yeah such a fascinating concept kind of like in a in a um, uh, inside out <laughs> we did the inside kind out of, episode kind of yeah go into what's into the, the pit danger into no, the dump no no into the danger area and they go we're going to abstract thought oh yes and they start to go into different different processes of thinking and you could get lost very wow yep. uh yeah that we're that, deconstructing <laughs> that, the, that world creeps me out not freaks me out it creeps me out and whenever they did yep. scenes there i really felt so uncomfortable so uncomfortable it's just that that the emotion uh that i felt during those those parts I've not felt in any other movie. I felt such dis-ease about it. And it, so it did its job really, really well. Uh, yeah. And then having Mal in there and, and, and speaking the way she does, it just added to this really, yeah. yeah really she is terrifying. Thing. Yeah. She, she, she scares the, the living daylights out of me. Oh, I want to mention another visual thing. I, I do love Go. those explosions. Uh, I was watching a little bit. I've, I was, watching this on Netflix as well. We've got it on Netflix here and um, watching it through speakers is great. You get good booming sound, but watching it with headphones on, you hear the surround, the surround nature of it really amazingly. And all those popping explosions of the buildings and the, the, the fruit cart and the road, the cobblestone roads just exploding up. They, Amazing. they did incredible with the sound, but you know, playing with slow motion, just wow, one of the best, uses of slow motion film yep. in this film without indulging in it every piece of because slow motion because it had done, a purpose yes like it was, it was there for a reason specifically and not just to look pretty and capture your mind you know there's a very which it does it's a, there's a very lazy technique when you're editing especially um you know beautiful montages if you if you want to go out and shoot something nice and you've got a, a smartphone that can shoot in slow motion go shoot in slow motion edit the slow motion footage, put any music underneath it, it is gonna be one of the best pieces you've ever put together. But it's a little bit of an easy way to edit. Some would say even a lazy way to edit because any shot, it turns out beautiful. But you're right, every time they use slow motion in this, just had such a specific purpose, all related to the time and the layer that they're in. And to give you the viewer an idea of where they are, it all had purpose, the van falling Fell oh, super, such super, a good, super slow. Such a good example of it. All related, relating to the level underneath of where it is. Uh, the playing with time at the beginning with the close-up on the watch face when they're in the other world with, uh, with Saito and they're in a dream within a dream and they do a couple of real quick shots to a watch face ticking with the second hand and the second hand is ticking super fast. Then it's ticking kind of slowly. You know, that's the first time that you see that this is a play with time. Uh, but, you know, they, they did those exploding rocks and the camera shake that they added in there. I don't know if you noticed that. Whenever anything exploded, the camera shook just ever so slightly. And that's 
not breaking the fourth wall, but giving you an extra feeling of really being in that moment, being affected by those, by those. Yeah, I was effects. reading. I was reading that part of the reason why they didn't shoot this in in IMAX fully uh, was because they needed to do a lot of handheld camera work. Um, oh, and Nolan sort of sickness. shoots everything himself. Like he doesn't have any kind of second unit filming. Wow. Um, and so because they were going to be doing that, that you just, you can't do that with, with these big, big cameras. Um, yeah, so they huge. just had to shoot it on. Sorry. Oh, I just said uh, that they're huge. Yeah. The IMAX cameras are massive. Mm. Yeah. The, the film alone is, is like the size of a little TV. I think now I, I'll, I'll probably be fact checked here um, online. Uh, but I think at the time that the Dark Knight was made, there was like four in existence. And IMAX he broke cameras. Two, and he broke two of them. Doing the Dark Knight? Yeah, making the Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's correct. I might be wrong. We will probably talk about the Dark Knight at some point in the movie, Cal. Uh, and so, yeah, we'll, I'll, I'll fact check myself when that episode comes out. Otherwise, leave it in the comments below, please. Um, I'd love to, love to know. Yeah. Um, there's so funny. many... So many visual things that I wanted to talk about, but there's there's too many. This whole film is just is gorgeous. The way that it's shot, the way that it's all put together, yeah, like the slow motion storytelling as mm. well, with that van coming down and continuously coming back to it. I yeah. read in the IMDb trivia uh, a couple of days ago that uh, in the in the home release for this one, like when it's shown on TV in Japan, uh, whenever they're in a dream, they have. Uh, a little t- card pop up in the top corner of the TV that tells what level of the dream that you're in <laughs> so that, really? that people can can keep up. Yeah, I think that's so cute. Oh, wow. Yeah, that'd be useful. How's that for respecting your audience? I know. That's, it's, wow. It's terrible. You don't, don't do that. Imagine when they approached Nolan and said, oh, by the way, when it gets released in Japan, we're going to have to do this to your film. Is that all right? <laughs> what? Yep. Yeah, I'm sure he wouldn't have signed off on that. I guess he had to. Well, you know, yeah. you can cut however many million dollars off your uh, off your profit margin if you don't want to release in Japan. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I know, right? Oh, they do <laughs> that so in fun. films all the time where they'll they'll localize certain content, but that is just yes. Okay, all you've just told me is I have to now go find that Japanese version so that I can watch it and know. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, <laughs> and know fun. which level they're at. No, I know. you just, just I, yeah, I, it's not that confusing. You know what? I don't have to do that because look, look at what I did. I, what I, is that? I made my map, all the levels, all the levels where they went to oh, and where they started. Joking. And I wrote arrows and I did it like with a thick pen so that I ran out of room and had to draw lines off the page and other lines here. I really tried I can- to... I can only imagine that like Christopher Nolan's office or writing room just would have had whiteboards full of that kind of stuff. Uh, For those of you listening on your podcast app, Terrence has just held up a piece of paper to the camera for me to have a look at. And it's got all of these. It kind of looks like a, it's not not a Venn diagram. What's it called? Where you've got the boxes and the lines that go to them. It's got a name. Oh yeah. Three-year-old's drawing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It it looks like a three-year-old's drawing. That's crazy. I'm embarrassed Um, to hold it too close in case you can make out what it says. That's all right. You can pause it if you're on YouTube and and maybe you'll look at it and go, oh man, yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking too. That's fun. I had some some (laughs) neat little Hold on to that. Hold on to that. It might be worth something one day, Terrence. Frame it. Maybe it can appear as a, a, a... a month on the calendar. That's going to be the image as you as you open so up the gross. calendar. Terence's worksheet. Don't, 
on Inception. Don't threaten something like that to the audience. That's awful. I like that idea, Terrence. Me too. What a All great right. concept. Now, because in last week's episode uh, for A Quiet Place, we ended up talking about the characters first and it went for like 40 minutes or more. Um, courtesy of time, because I do want to take time. a deep dive into the characters. Yeah, all um, right. We can we can might start talking about the characters now. If we missed talking about your favourite bit with visual storytelling, do apologise. We might get to it in the what about when, so stick around for that. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's with get the, into the characters. With the characters now, there is a theme with all of the characters that perform the heist that are, I'm not sure if you're aware of or not, and this has been confirmed by Christopher Nolan himself in an interview. All of the characters that are performing the heist, their job roles are based off... Um, people who usually work within the film industry because Christopher Nolan is like, write what you know. So Cobb is the director. Arthur is the producer. Ariadne is the production designer. Uh, Saito is the studio. Eames is the actor and Fisher is the audience. That's cool, right? Blows your mind. It makes so much sense when you think of them in those roles. So Cobb, being the director, obviously, um, you know, he, he brings everyone together uh, and, and has all of the ideas and, yeah. <laughs> Terrence is freaking out. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It makes wow. sense, right? I guess so. I mean, he said it, so yeah, and he knows film. Yep. Wow, and all the um, projections are extras. <laughs> practically wow. yes but wow. no yeah the those those characters that's what they are um they're based off those roles within the filmmaking process wow that's great i like that yeah. uh eames is the actor of course really cool. yeah we'll it, talk about cool eames was his character <laughs> we'll talk oh, about right. eames uh second last on my on my list here Who's so we'll first? go cobb cobb we'll go right. cobb first leonardo dicaprio himself uh, Dominic Cobb, I think his full name is. Oh, I was going to say, did you catch his first name? I heard it. Dom. Okay. Yeah, yeah, there's only a few too. of the characters are referred to by their their first name. Otherwise, it's mostly just their, their last name, which is very classic for a heist film. Yeah. But yeah, he's, he's got it? an interesting story. Okay. Tell us his story. Well, so he is, uh, for some, for at the beginning of the film, you don't know why. Um, but he is trying to get back to his family. So his kids, for some reason or another, he can't enter the United States because mm-hmm. um, it's dangerous for him to do so. Uh, we find out later why, um, because uh, he is he is being hunted down for killing his wife. Well, they think he killed his wife. Spoilers, is he being hunted he- down? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and he's also being hunted down by the Cobal Corporation, who hired him to... Uh, uh, extract something out of Saito's memory mm. uh, dreams uh, and he failed at that so COBOL engineering is going after him as well okay uh, he's the best extractor in the world um, according to he, him yeah according to him I don't think he invented the technology but he's definitely used it for no, a long time and military and he's really good at it he's a good thief yeah um, but it's not how uh, he was taught to use his skill no he's the leader of the group um, and he has got an absolutely messed up subconscious and mind. Dude, dude needs therapy, like massively needs therapy. A <laughs> boy needs therapy. Yes. Yeah. Well, he's messed up. Things yeah. seek out to him. Seek out mental help um, if you if you need it, because it's a, a good thing to do. Keep your mind right. It's just as important as your physical health. Mm. 
or just yeah, create have... alternative realities that you can choose to live inside of. Yeah, that's no, another way to look at it. No, awful, bad, bad. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. You only have one reality. Enjoy it. Um, but yeah, do you have anything on Cobb that you'd like to talk about? Maybe the incredible performance by Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh man, a second Leo film early in the uh, the history of the movie calendar. I do want to look. I do want to set the record straight. We've we've done the Departed, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to put my finger up in the air like this because if I can make those magic cards pop up, maybe that's where it's going to be linking. No, to don't the do it now because we don't want we don't want people to leave this episode. Too late. Go watch oh. it and then come back right. to it. Yeah, don't. Leave. Anyway, there it is. Um, if it works, and I said, oh, I haven't seen too many Leo films. Surprisingly, oh, I've seen heaps. I saw this one. I've seen. I've seen Shutter Island. Shutter Island. I've seen seen Catch Me If You Can. Catch Me If You Can. I haven't even thought of that one. Uh, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. Titanic. Yes. See, I've seen lots. I've seen lots. I love him in all of them. (laughs) Wolf of Wall Street. (laughs) I haven't seen that yet. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that yet. But it's great. For me, that's Leo's best performance. Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, he's so great. He's despicable in that film and a disgusting human being and not someone that anybody should want to aspire to be. Okay, but cool. his performance in that film is just incredible. What, Django Unchained? Again, Django, he's great. bit of a despicable character, but how good is he? I loved him in this film. Um, yep. Such an intense character and he's got that uh, continual brooding, brooding kind of expression that someone who is messed up here and is trying to work it all out like he i guess like the like the director he's trying to uh, keep control of everything and he's got so much on his mind he's got his kids he's got to think about uh he's got all these all these parts that are that are creating the film of his dream verse including uh showing the ropes to, to ariadne and and trying to keep his family together all this kind of stuff he does so well and he's, his composure with with all of it is incredible. One thing that confused me more about the character was in the training scene with, with Ariadne when she does that amazing scene that we spoke about where she pulls the mirrors across and shatters them. Um, I was wondering why he got angry with her for creating something that she already knew. Like, if it's that important, why didn't you just tell her that? You can't just give someone free yeah. reign over anything that they can imagine in the entire concept of life and not tell so them the does, most important thing. He does say it in that scene. And to be fair, he only says it once. So well done to the, to the <laughs> writing of it for only, only mentioning it this one time. Yeah, but too uh, late. He says, don't, don't create um, entire areas based off your memory because that's how you can get lost in a dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 not be able to distinguish between the dream world and the real world, so you mm. can be lost by doing that. So only take only take little examples like a street light or a sign or something. Never never recreate entire areas. Yeah, or a house that you used to live in, or a place that reminds you yeah. of the last thing that your wife ever sat in before she committed suicide, or you know a beach you played on with your children. Yeah, don't do any yeah. of that. Don't do any of that. No, no. Cobb is such a hypocrite. Wow. Um, but also, you said that Cobb is trying to work stuff out. I don't think he's trying to work stuff out. I think he is just pushing stuff down oh, until yeah. it just cysts into a disgusting mass that's going to fester as a mental illness at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Look, there yeah. are so many things that point to the outcome of this film in the storytelling process of how, you know, of how he breaks all the rules 
And the reason he tells everyone to stick by the rules is because it's going to be messy if you don't. How does he know? Well, he's in he's in that mess. He's not. He's done it. Yeah. 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 Speaks from experience. Um, His right hand man is Arthur. Uh, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, I love Joseph um, Gordon-Levitt. So cool, so suave. So he is the producer of the crew. Mm. Um, so he's kind of there to figure figure things out when they're not going well. And that's why Cobb got so mad at him when they went into Fisher's mind and he had subconscious security in there. And he's like, how did you not know this? This was your job. You were supposed to do the research and find this out. Um, so that was uh, that was really interesting. And he's the, he's the ideas man. He comes up with the ideas mm-hmm. uh, so that uh, Ariande uh, can build and... and Eames can act and so on and so forth. Yeah, the producer kind of works as the the oil that allows all the parts to communicate with each other and and work well and helps with the with the production team organize timing so everyone gets there on time and coordinate the whole thing pretty much. Well, there's a production coordinator for that, but that's that's where the producer comes in. So yeah, he's got a lot on his plate too. I like how he's just <laughs> yeah. always got slick back hair. Um, I did think for a time, I thought, wow, all these characters' hair is slicked back. Is that yep. so in the slow motion non-gravity scenes, the hair doesn't fall in their faces? That was one of the reasons, yeah. Are you in serious? Fact, one of the, yeah, one of the reasons why Ariadne's <laughs> hair is in a bun when they're in that second level um, is that in Zero-G, they didn't have to figure out what to do with it because they just put it in a bun. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. And it would help with continuity Love so much. Man, very much helpful. You can't all of a sudden shoot. Let's just film this one standing normal. We'll turn the camera. Oh, her hair's falling down over her face when it was up in the air before. Yeah. Wow. Not, not too much else to say about um, about Arthur. Uh, he's just he's very loyal. Um, and straight uh, up to see. Yeah. Straightforward. Knows, at least really knows what he wants to get done. Yeah. But yep. He's by far not the most capable. Um, the the the. I think he's a bit condition, confused though. A bit confused. Mm. Well, we'll talk about that in a sec. Um, <laughs> uh, the newest addition to the heist crew, uh, Ariadne, who was uh, brought in as a student uh, from France uh, when uh, Cobb goes to visit his father, who's teaching yeah. architecture. And he's like, I need a kid who was as good as me. And it's like, we've got somebody better. So I his really father like that. Or a stepfather? I don't know. Either, either one. A parental role. Yes, I really like that line as well. Someone as good as me? No. What did he say? What was um? I've got somebody. I've got somebody better. I've got somebody better. That was so it awesome. sets up, sets her up really well. Um, I like to see that we get to. I like that we get to see her working as well on all of the mazes. Um, I really like Ellen Page. There's going to be a Michael few. Michael Caine. Yeah. Ellen Page um, films on the on the calendar. I think Juno. We mentioned Juno. We've spoken about before. That'll yeah. be on. Uh, that'll be on here. Hmm. Um. The. I think it was a nice introduction to um, Ariadne, the way that they brought her in. And I also like how Michael Caine, how his father is like, oh, no, I don't like... You get the idea that he doesn't like the line of work that he's in. But I thought it was intriguing that he taught Cobb how to how to do this. I'm going to say this with inverted commas because I'm not sure what level of of training he put Cobb through. Did he talk about all this dreamy within a dream stuff this controlling dreams this um what's it called not inception um extraction extraction did he learn it from cobb uh from from his dad is his dad some military guy like how did they access this he might have helped pioneer the technology we have no idea but it was cool Um, that he all of a sudden turned went on his side and 
like, yep, yeah, I got someone for you. She's the maze and, and dream level designer. Uh, her character, um, or at least her namesake, is based off of Greek mythology as well. Um, I learned this this week and thought it was fascinating, so I'll share it here. So Ariadne uh, in Greek mythology guided um, Theseus through the maze after he slaughtered the Minotaur, apparently. Uh, that's as far as I got Ooh, to read before I was cool. like, because Greek mythology is just lots of words and I only had enough time to do a little bit of research on this film so I uh I got that far and I was like that's really cool so uh, I really like the the I like things like that the attention to detail with characters and that's really nice yeah that was good that's really nice oh what a great um a great test as well that opening scene you know okay you've got two minutes draw a maze it'll take me one minute to do yeah oh yeah excellent oh that that maze that she draws that he can't figure out the the circle one yeah um if you if you screenshot that maze yeah um it's actually unsolvable <laughs> you can't, it's it's dead end at every area that you go <laughs> so that's why he couldn't solve it count to five count to five out loud one two three four five great that was one minute in my time <laughs> do that maze <laughs> Do it. Oh, my God. Boom. Oh, that's... Well done. I did not know that Terence was going to do that. For those listening in the podcast app, because th- no. this is an audio medium as well, Terence held up a map that he had... Don't tell I don't want to say pre-drawn, because just he, uh, he, he, he just drew it then in the I time incepted. that it took me to, to count from one to five. I inceptionized, because at my level, yes. that five seconds was two <sighs> minutes. I don't know what well about ten, five minutes. It took me about five minutes to do that. It was an amazing piece of art. Piece of art. Don't tell them what I did. You're just going to have to watch beautiful. the YouTube. That's no going one straight on the fridge. No straight one down to the it. pool room. I think it's a solvable. It, it's a solvable maze. Well, let's let's talk about Saito, uh, the man who hires Cobb to perform the Inception itself, uh, who actually has. Uh, I was talking to someone um, earlier uh, on the phone. Um, we watched the film together, and. Uh, and she was saying that the first piece of inception that happens in the film is when Saito makes uh, Cobb do the job. <laughs> she he incepts him with the idea of you should do this job for me. <laughs> so yeah, the powerful, powerful man. So he is he is the studio as far as the movie production uh, analogy goes. Uh, so he bankrolls the whole thing and 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 sort of allows them to do their to do their work and. And yeah, buys all the things that need to be done. Ah, oh, like an airline. Um, yeah. <laughs> what does he say? He goes, oh, yes, I bought the airline. And then he said something. It seemed something, cleaner. It seems cleaner. That is so cool. The um, I like also the idea when they're talking about um, when they're in Mombasa and Yusuf, the chemist. And he says, well, how many people will there be? And he goes, five. And he, Saito goes, six. And they said, no, there's no... You know, we can't have no room, no room, no room for tourists. No room for job. tourists, right? So he's just going to be baggage. He's he's a studio rep as well as the studio that just wants to sit in on every shot. And he'll just yep. arc up and say, oh, can you make her wear red shoes? Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> okay, that's yes, yes, money. <laughs> yes, money. Yeah. What a cool... He was a cool guy towards the end. I really amazing. I really liked yeah. his and character. Look, Ken Ken Watanabe is amazing, and uh, Christopher Nolan wrote this part for him because he'd he'd worked with him previously on Batman Begins, uh, and was just wanting any opportunity to uh, work with him again. So, 
uh, yeah, wrote the character specifically for him because he wanted to because he didn't get a lot of screen time in uh, in Batman Begins, so he wanted to wanted to put him in this film with a bit of a larger role. Oh, cool. man, it's been so long since I've seen any Batman movie, any Batman movie. Okay, oh, we like... might have to rectify that soon then. Yeah, yeah. Um, the look, I had so many. I kept bouncing around with all these different theories in my head. Who's this guy? Who's in control now? Whose dream is this? It was incredible how they kept jumping around and you never really knew whose dream you were in until someone actually said, no, we're going to go into Fisher's dream or Fisher thinks we're going in his dream, but we're going into his dream. I thought that was really interesting how they kept doing that throughout and how the idea that you could go into anyone's dream was was just incredible that kept all the doors open it did yeah, throw a big- as long as as long as they're all there, you can you yeah. can go into anyone's mind. I, did- I really like when they get into that first layer, and you've you've shown Yusuf on the plane beforehand where he's having a sip, he's taking a, a, a sip of champagne to kind of calm his nerves, and they get into the dream, and it's just pouring down <laughs> with rain, and they're like, "Oh, did you, did you drink a little bit too much free champagne before we started?" Like that he, he the fact that he needs to pee means that there's uh there's rain in the world is just so much fun. <laughs> That's how dreams work. <laughs> you drink yep. too much before bed. <laughs> <laughs> that's rainy I, I like also as soon as they cut to the dream sequence it fin- he's on the plane he drinks his sip and it cuts to him standing in the rain in the rain and yeah. he has that realisation come over his face as he's well like, and he's like oh Damn it. man I would have that's I would so have cool. paid folding cash to see when they like the movie ends and they all wake back up on the plane if they just went to Yusuf and he had a wet patch on his pants <laughs> <laughs> he's a grown man grown men don't do that it doesn't happen. After they've had too much champagne. I've seen it before. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But I kept wondering, like, whose dream is this and how do they control who who's the dream? How does the architect make the things that appear there? Do they just think it? Does that mean it has to be the architect whose dream they're all in? I don't know. But I was kind of willing to I let all that all, stuff go. I think it's all housed in that suitcase. Um, they kind of oh. build it and put it in there. And then that's what's used as the, as the architecture of the dream. And then the subject mind fills it with their subconscious. What do they put in the suitcase? The models? The, yeah, the, the the little it, it's like a buildings like a USB make. that's got the oh. the architecture on it. They don't Matrix style. They download it all and then pop it. I don't know. Those are those are little things that my mind goes stupid with sometimes. I'm like, stop it, Terrence. Yeah. Stop it. This one of the things. One of the things that that yeah that I'll give credit to them that for not over explaining is is the way that it actually works. The practicality yes. of it. You just need to know that it works you don't and, need to yeah. know anything else about it and that's good like just keep it at that i don't need I, to know i think you're right the whole the whole idea that there's this complex mechanism that's enough yeah oh yeah that's a pretty smart device did you also know that uh, did you notice that they didn't show the um we're gonna get back to the characters in just a second we promise yeah sorry they never showed how people got the the sedative like you would imagine it's a it's an injection it's an intravenous thing but you never saw any needles you never saw even the action of them injecting themselves there was one scene where ariadne grabs grabs the i was going to say the cord the cable the uh the tubing and she kind of just has her hand i'm just looking at my camera has her hand just below frame you see the top of her arm her wrist goes just out of frame and she brings the tubing and just lowers it below frame i thought it was quite I guess you could say tasteful. They didn't need yeah, to do would, that in the film. Oh, geez, I just knocked my camera. <laughs> I just knocked my desk. I would say that there is a reason for that and 
could be a, a writing thing. have to do with thing? US rating systems, yeah. yeah. If you were to show anything like that, it probably would have got a drug use yeah. thing, which would have pushed it into an R rating. Yeah, you're probably uh, right. In the US, which is just, sure, fine, whatever. I have yeah. no control over that. I did um, notice it, and I thought, you know what? They, they did it so well without needing to even show it. So many films yes, show it to you, make a big you deal You don't out of need it. it. No. no. You don't need to be overly graphic with it. Um, you just need to know the concept of it. If it was something to do with... Like, if it was a different movie entirely, and it was, oh, this idea of dreams are addictive, and people are... Like, if, if the entire movie was set in where, like, Yusuf's workshop was in his pharmacy, where he yeah. went downstairs and showed all those people who were dreaming for, you know, all, pretty much all day, and then yeah. they're just essentially to be woken up. Um, they're dreaming for, like, 40 hours at a time in the dream world. Uh, that is their reality. And, like, the addiction of it. Like, then you could show it, because then it would yeah. have purpose in the story. It doesn't have purpose in this yeah. story. You don't need it. All right, sorry to anyway, railroad it. Back to, Let's go. Back to the characters. Who are we up to? Who are we timestamped in here? So, Fisher uh, Fisher is the next character who is okay. the audience. Yes. Uh, in the analogy of everyone is a, a participant in the filmmaking experience. Um, yeah, so Fisher is the audience. So, he is the target for the Inception itself. He's the son of a, of a, of a multi-billion dollar corporation um, uh, whose, whose father is just about to pass away and does pass away in the film. Conveniently. Um, can conveniently passes away who knows maybe there was foul play we don't know he seemed like a very old man uh the great australian actor um i didn't write it down it's pete pothelswaite pothelswaite Pop- yes that's the one he's amazing i did have it brilliant right, actor it? yeah pothelswaite Pos- Pos- he's worked he's Pos- worked with leonardo Pothels- dicaprio before in romeo and juliet yes he's got such a distinctive um look about him yeah yeah. And Postle, the usual suspects. He's so good. Postlethwaite. Yes. Pete Postlethwaite. Yeah. Uh, yeah, brilliant, okay. brilliant actor. And he's marvellous in this. Um, but no, Fisher, played by um, uh, Cillian Murphy, is so good uh, as that kind of, you know, arrogant but wide-eyed, you know, jaded son mm. uh, who just kind of hates his father because of the upbringing that he's had. He gets a really nice catharsis at the end of this film, whether it's for nefarious purposes or not, I kind of like the fact that when he wakes up and he's had the idea incepted in his mind that his father did really love him and wanted him to be his own man, as much as it's probably not true, mm-hmm. uh, I like that he now has that and that'll kind of grow to define him as a human being. He's going to become better from that. Um, there's you know arguments to be said that it, because it was put in there, not by him, and it's not an organic thought that it's, that it's wrong, which I completely understand and say yes to that as well um but yeah the fact that they they decided to go with a positive reinforcement rather than a mm-hmm. negative one for his father as a conscious choice and they even talk about it in the film i like that uh, is a, about that yeah. is a nicer is a nicer way to do it yeah i like that as well when he saw the um the little wind toy thing what do you call that a, a, a wind windmill like is a that? pinwheel a pinwheel that's it when you see the pinwheel and he <laughs> and he chooses to take the pinwheel Instead of the last will and testament, you know, yep. that just, yeah. it just, I just ached a little bit. I just, so the the photo that he has in his $500 wallet um, of him. him fun him. fact about that photo that I learned literally today before we started recording. The, that picture, I don't know who the young kid is, but the, the, the actor who's playing the father with the mustache is Cillian Murphy. <laughs> and he played his own father as well. Well, it's weird because isn't that meant to be... Pete 
possible way. It's supposed to be his dad character. Yeah. So yeah, usually they so would he, he get played a, his father. Usually well. they'd get a young photo of the father, yeah, no, and put it in the shot. Used, they just used That's Cillian yeah. Murphy himself. I did notice that. I mean, it was quite obvious in that old photo that the pinwheel was going to play a part. You know, it's a very yeah. distinctive shape, uh, and really took took part of that photo anyway. Yeah, but Chekhov's, Chekhov's the, photo wasn't there by an accident. The, yeah. But the key thing, I think, with that photo is that's the photo that was thrown to the floor Yeah, on his, on his deathbed. That's why that had such significance, you know? And we yeah. know that Eames was in the room or in the next and, room. Yeah, he Eames noticed finding that, that photo. Yeah. Like, this is useful. We can use this. Like, the fact, exactly. that, the fact that Fisher's subconscious brought it with him in his dream... Uh, was like this is important. We can we can use this. Yeah, yeah, yeah brilliant. Now, should we talk about Eames because he is just my absolute favourite character in this film? All right. Yes, we haven't spoken about Mal yet, have we? She's last. Good. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about Eames. <laughs> Definitely been saving her till last because cool. she's the most interesting character. Yes. My favourite character is is Eames, played by the wonderful Tom Hardy. He is so great in this film. He's just such a natural actor he seemed like he was having so much fun um just i love the his relationship with arthur and how they just continuously kind of keep just going at it like an old married couple Mm -hmm. Uh, was super fun terence literally before we started uh recording this podcast and i had the exact same conversation with a friend of mine quite recently as well is that it's like do they have a do they have a sexual chemistry or a like sexual tension there is there something happening there? And I was like, I thought the exact same thing. Yeah. So they are, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what their sexual preferences are as, as characters. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think there's something there, especially from Eames's side, at least anyway. Yeah. Oh, he's much more forward. He's quite camp in a few of the lines that he, that he says, you know, with the, with the guns and Arthur's trying to pick off the, um, the security Fisher's security detail in that in that second level and he's trying to pop him off with that little gun and he and uh, Ames walks in and I've got the I've got the quote here he goes you mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger darling and he brings out this just huge weapon and blows up the whole unit the rocket, on the, the ceiling. rocket launcher I just thought wow, grenade, was, grenade launcher what a cool line in yep. every way but yeah they he keeps sniping at him with these little bits yep. you know oh, you're still working with him are you and you know and we're the- never one we're never one to assume anything if we don't know so even though he is camp that doesn't necessarily mean that he is gay or bi uh, or, or no, anything but- like that but it's just he seemed like he was having so much fun yeah uh within that role and yeah. uh and yeah love the chemistry that he had with everybody that he interacted with he's just he's such a gem to watch on screen and i, I love it his character was extremely playful as well and again with arthur the when they're explaining to Ariadne what a kick is and Arthur's rocking on his chair what's a kick this This. is a kick and he just lifts the chair up a little bit what every schoolboy has done to their best friend who's rocking on the chair next to them give them the scare of their life can't tell you that that is such an effective way to stop kids rocking on their chairs if I ever become a teacher I can't and my teachers did that to guys in my class did it to me as well just walked behind and would support the chair enough that we didn't fall but totally gave us a scare and pulled it back just enough that i woke up out of my dream 
you have you have like an out of body experience. Like you just you leave your soul just leaves your body in like Doctor Strange style, uh, and you enter another realm where you can just see yourself falling to your death. And while we're laughing at it now, it is that hilarious when you're watching it happen to someone else. And again, when they're displaying different types of kicks to Ariadne, and it does a couple of quick cuts Fall this with, way, that you know, way, yeah, and and Eames as they're giggling. As Arthur is being knocked off the chair and, and woken up with a start. I like that. His, his character was so cool too. Um, what is he? The forger? They call him a forger? Yeah, he's a forger. He's an actor. An actor, right? Um, and when, when yeah, someone's introduced performer. as a forger. And, and a thief. An amazing thief. Oh, I just imagine. Acting, I guess, you know, of course, with this personification of a, of a film crew. A forger. You're forging someone else's personality. But I immediately went to, you know, oh, they need someone to... <laughs> sign some documents illegally yeah, yeah. <laughs> he literally write says some um, currency uh, what is it whereas like you'd need the right documents to uh, or the right yeah. references you need to get the right references in order to be in the same room as this guy and he's like well references happen to be quite the speciality for me yeah <laughs> next I scene he's in the really he's in the office it. I really like the shots where he is becoming uh, Uncle Peter mm. uh and like he's sitting in front of the, those mirrors. I know you, this was another yes. moment when we watched the film that Terence was like, "That's in that's the, so clever." In the elevator, he, yeah, in the elevator, and the, specifically the one where he's sitting in front of the vanity, where it's got like three or four mirrors, and every time it cuts back to him, another mirror is of Uncle Peter until he turns around and he is Uncle and Peter in him. the dream. That was such it's a great, so clever build, and it's a great transition, yeah. a great, a great way to bring the actual audience us in on what is happening without having to. Do a, an amazing jump cut and say, no, I'm going to turn into Peter. Poof. But they yeah, did the other one visual storytelling. where he came back from being Uncle Peter into Ames. And that was after the van had fallen. They escaped from the van and everyone except for Fisher and Peter stay underwater or get a quick exit out the other side. So Peter and Fisher are out on the banks and the camera pans oh, around such a Fisher. Good shot. And all of a sudden, Peter he becomes, turns from Peter, uh, from Peter to Eames. into Eames. I thought yeah. that was, and he's like, "It's beautiful. worked. We've done it. It's worked. We've yes. we've, we've done this. We've done this now." It was really yeah, so great, really cool. Uh, right. uh, one more with Eames: the, the playful nature of their first meeting when he meets yeah, them in, the- in Mombasa in the in the bar in the cafe in that place, and they're you know talking about what they need to do, and you know I'll I'll help you just as soon as you lose your tail. You know, just, he just has this cool about him. Yeah. I can't... I don't know what other Tom Hardy films I've seen. Uh, well, I, I, I went to IMDb and I thought, was he in that? Was he in that? Was he yeah. in that? Was he in that? I don't know. So he I need to now look for him. He transforms into the roles that he's in. I've got to find him now. I've, I've fallen in love with him. I want to really see other things that he's done. Yeah. Because it there was will just be, there will be magic a few- watching him. A few Tom Hardy films that will appear on the cool. uh, on the calendar. So, um, yeah, look out for those. Uh, but I'd love to talk about yes, Mole for let's a do bit. It. So, let's Cobb's, do it. Uh, Cobb's uh, dead wife, essentially. I think that she is the most complex character in the entire film, which is saying something because technically she doesn't exist. Mm. Like, she's not real. She only exists in the mind of Cobb, uh, mm-hmm. uh, played by the incredible Marion Cotillard. Uh, wonderful actor. Um, she just enhances everything that she's in. Um, she brought such uh, intensity to this yeah. role as well. There was a very villainous feel to this character also. I, I've I've written down here 
um, she has turned from a because when she died she would have just been a part of Cobb's subconscious um, she would have been a projection and then she would have been turned into a memory and mm-hmm. now sticking with the theme of dreaming she has now become a nightmare Ooh, and yeah. she is the only jump scare in the entire film and it's so effective as well where uh, Ariadne goes down um, downstairs into Cobb's dream for the first time and he doesn't know and and Cobb and Mole are having the, a conversation at the table and she walks down the hallway and Mole just yeah. looks straight <laughs> at her and has that, that shriek of the yeah, of the, the jump scare happen and it's just terrifying. It's it so was, scary. It was done so well because um Cobb and Mole are sitting way in the distance. No, it's not a, a massive movement. Or did the camera go really tight on her face as she turned? It wasn't... No, it wasn't all it's, that tight. It, it was still a wide. wide. It was still... Yeah. And, and then went just, to oh, Ariadne's reaction. Eyes. Yep. So it was really effective. When you can do a jump scare from a very small detail in a frame and it affects you so much because you don't expect... It's almost like she looked at the camera. You don't expect yeah, that almost. to happen. She does cool. that twice. She did it when Ariadne went down onto the, the basement level and it was the hotel room and Ariadne steps on the glass and breaks it. And she does the same thing. She looks at her there as well, except you're kind of expecting it because of the glass break. Yeah. I think that mm. she is also a... Uh, um, I think she's a projection that Cobb uses uh, as a manifestation of his own self-sabotage because why would she be affecting his job, essentially, of being a, a mind thief in such a negative way if all she is is his memory of her so i think he's funneling and channeling some kind of self-sabotage within himself into her which is why he can't build anymore well a self-sabotage i i feel is all about insecurity and he and he holds a lot of guilt of course oh, yeah. she, everything she's a pure manifestation guilt. of his guilt yeah and he, and because of what happened, he can't let her go, and that's yep. how it appears in his in his mindset. And he's he's lost control of it because he doesn't want to let it go. But yeah. he, he she's been trapped for so long, so he just accepts it and decides to just not tell people about it. Yeah, it's it's disgusting. It's horrible, mm. and we we find out that the the reason why Mole died. Uh, was because they were trapped in limbo for the longest of time. Cobb wanted to get out. She had locked away the idea of what reality was and mm-hmm. had accepted the fact that this was their new reality down in limbo. Mm-hmm. And so to get her out of it, what he does is he just... He incepts the idea in her, which is how he knows Inception is real, that the reality that she's in at the moment isn't real. And in order to get out of it to see her children, she has to kill herself. But what he didn't realize that once she had accepted that and done it and got out of it that it would be something that would grow and fester inside her and become part of her mm. and so that when she was in the quote unquote reality it was just a vicious cycle of her wanting to get out of this false reality by killing herself and get into the real one because uh, she'd been in her false reality for so long it became her reality yes and where she was when she killed herself was no longer real she wanted to get back to it yep so it's it's awful so when he's like oh they think that i killed her you you did kill her you mm. gave her this idea whilst you may not have thought that that's as far as it was going to go 
you still did this. Like, you are responsible for her death and you should probably accept that fact yeah. uh, and stop running from it because uh, it's it's literally your fault and nobody else's. Whilst it was an accident, it still happened. Take some responsibility. Uh, and I think what that's a, what he's kind of pushing down. How it happened was just awful, especially when she's on that windowsill and she says, well, I've sent letters to the police and they think you've been abusing me and then you realize oh that's why the hotel room is all destroyed to yeah to simulate awful. a fight i'm just thinking what what kind of woman would do this? why would you do this if you think he's just going to kill himself anyway and he's going to be with you why lay this horrible trail because because she thinks that he's he in denial about yeah. that being in that world. And the only way to get him out of that world is to take away his children and frame him for murder. And it, then he's free to kill himself and be with her. Oh, taking away his children. There's a there's a great Australian film. I'm gonna mention it here. I didn't I didn't talk to you about this, Lee. I don't I don't know if That's all right. I wanna put it on the calendar. It's too disturbing for me. Uh, I watched it once uh, before I became a father. Uh, I watched it with my with my wife. Um, way back then it's called alexandra's project and I seen it. it is highly disturbing uh, pretty much a, a, a wife takes the father's children away from him and the way the story plays out is just unreal unbelievable and it was it stuck with me uh, over over 15 years later and in this film when she says you know i've written the the I've sent letters uh, and how she's been proven clinically sane and they think he's a he's he's horrible man and she's taking the kids away it's just and again as a father you know that really struck me and then for her to then jump off there as well was just ridiculously heartbreaking yeah <sighs> there's a great mm. um, uh, David Fincher film called uh, Gone Girl uh, which has a, a yeah. similar Similar concept. Man, uh, I haven't uh, seen Gone Girl. Exceptionally, done exceptionally well. Actually, um, is that not ben sure ben if Affleck? that one will appear on the calendar or not. It's Ben Affleck. Yeah, and, uh, and oh my god, I've forgotten her name. Doesn't matter. I will remember it later. She should yeah. have won best uh, best actress at the Oscars. Oh okay. Oh god, what is her name? I feel so awful. Doesn't matter. No. Uh, but Mole, uh, Mole is just such a complex character. I almost as long as this film is, I'm kind of sad that um, we didn't get to see the real her um, only in flashback uh, yeah. because I would have liked to have spent time with the real uh, with the real mole um, because from all we hear from Arthur is that she was really sweet she was really smart she's the one who had the idea of the totems mm -hmm. um, and yeah so I, I really wish we could have seen the real her rather than just Cobb's memory of her that had been warped and disturbed over time um but aside from that, uh, she is she is incredible and, and wonderfully complex and, and an mm. excellent performance. Uh, two things about names. Okay, first one, Gone Girl, Rosamund Pike. Rosamund Pike, thank you. All right, uh, there you go. Uh, the Hate internet myself. is an amazing thing. Uh, and the other thing, what about the biggest thing we, we haven't mentioned yet? Mal's name. The word M-A-L means bad evil um yep. sick uh, everything negative pretty much a lot yeah. of if you bad, go back to its latin, bad characters. latin origin malicious yeah yeah it's french you know she's french it's uh, one of the latin languages you know, yeah well yeah so you know that that as well with the naming of it i thought you know that's 
that's pretty suitable and especially with the development how she seems to get more and more evil uh, as it goes along yeah and i started thinking oh what what do the other names mean what about cob what does cob mean yeah, because I'm her sure name would have been cob as well reference yeah they yeah. all would um yeah well, yeah we're doing pretty well for time right. um, um we should probably well shift into a couple of other things you know there's there's one more thing i want to mention uh okay can we Very talk quickly. about the totems okay um just quickly i i the, you remember arthur has a loaded die Yes. And he speaks to Ariadne about creating a totem and she goes to grab it and he goes, no, you can't touch it. You can't touch it. This is mine and never let anyone touch yours. That's how mm -hmm. you know it's yours. That's your reality. Um, Cobb's totem is not his. It's not. It's Moles. And this is the biggest good thing up. in it, right? I was wondering um, if you picked that up. And... You know, and maybe this is something for later on. I'll I leave was going to talk about on. this a little bit later on. Yeah. Let's do it later on. Okay, I just wanted to bring in that between, up. In between what about when and the movie calendar. Yes. Or actually, no, now that it's been brought up, let's yeah. do it. We'll, well put it in and be here in the time codes. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, about... No, no, about... Well, put it in the time codes, but about the totems. How stupid is that totem? Spin a thing and wait for it? Bloody hell. A die is great because you get instant gratification. A thing you knock over is great because it falls. This is like getting a vitamin B tablet and waiting to see if your pee is bright orange. If it comes out bright orange, I know that I'm not dreaming. Now I need to drink some water. Just wait there, please. Wait. What a ridiculous totem. And it's such a beautiful balanced one. It's going to spin a long time anyway. Just saying. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. My, you interrupted my the, train. We run out of time you for go. the next segment. Yeah, wait for um, me to, gonna... <laughs> to pop my vitamin B tablet and I'll let you know if I'm ready to go. We'll spin a totem and go to the next bit. Um, no, that's that's fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, should we, we'll, we'll definitively state yes, now yes, yes. as to whether uh, we think, both Terence and myself individually, think that is the reality level of Inception where Cobb is, is given the job yeah. uh, and, and tries to get out, the one where Mole killed herself... Is that reality or is it a dream? Terence. I think it's a dream. You think it's a dream? Why do you think it's a dream? I think it's a dream because I can't remember. I'll be proven wrong. But the one time where he spins his totem in the reality world is when he comes out of the, um, the dream test he had in um, Mombasa with the new chemist. He has the dream. He's shaken by the visions of Mal again. He gets up, he splashes his face with water. He goes to spin his totem and he clumsily does it. It never spins. So he never sees if he's in reality or not. He gets interrupted and we don't see as an audience if it stayed up or not. There's no right. evidence that it actually fell. He never spun it correctly. He dropped it. So, so you think that he's stuck in that place where the chemist yeah. was. I think he's okay. Wherever, I haven't heard that I think before. wherever the chemist is, that level, which is actually the level that we are introduced to at the beginning that he comes back to, where they're on the train at the beginning, the bullet train, yep. I don't think that's real reality because that's the same level as when he's Everything. when he goes to Mombasa. That's our yep. level of what we what we're meant to think the reality is. We never see But you don't think it is. I don't think it is. Okay. So Christopher Nolan you know, has an idea. I hope he does. He Nolan, wrote the thing. Christopher Nolan has said that he thinks that it, that is reality. Yeah. And that uh, and that Cobb does get back to his children. Now, 
I'm with you. I think it's all a dream. And I think that Christopher Nolan has answered this because if he didn't answer it, it would have been a question that he would have been asked in every interview until the day he dies. So you think Um, he just answered it to shut people up? I think he just answered it to just be like, yep, that's it. But (laughs) then why leave your film ambiguous for one? So there's a couple of reasons as to why I think it's a dream. Uh, One, that's not his totem. We don't see what his totem is. A lot of people online think that it's his wedding ring. Because whenever he's in a dream, he's got a wedding ring on. And whenever he's in reality, he doesn't. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's true. I think he has a different one that we just never see. Um, I don't think he has one. I don't... Or he or he just... He is happy to live in whatever reality he it wants. It was Mal's idea to have a totem. Exactly. Um, the kids don't age. Oh, they do. So, when, when he gets to them at when the they end... Do. They are in the exact same position and they are ex- the exact same age mm-hmm. as what they were when he left after the after mum had died. They do a little bit, but I think it's just because he thinks, well, they're going to be a little bit older. They are only a little bit older. There's different haircuts. I think they wear the same clothes. But on the table, the dining room table, there are paintbrushes and toys. And when he goes into his dream state that Ariadne busts him in, there is a painting easel set up next to that table. It is what he remembers. It's his memory of it. And the reality seems to be that memory in my eyes. And the age of the kids, it's comparable. But they, yeah, I think they are different. Um, Actually, Christopher Nolan's son too, by the way. Oh, really? The boy. Yeah. Yeah, Cute kid. I don't know his name. They're both a couple of cute cute kids. I remember when they turned their heads. I was like, Um, oh. When he sees his father uh, for the first time, Mm -hmm. one of the lines that he says to him is, come back to reality, Dom. (gasps) Yes, now there's does. quite a there's quite a uh, a lot of studies on things where people where people in comas and things can hear mm. um, people in the outside world. So he could very much be in a coma right now, and his father could be there, come back to reality, Tom, or he could be asleep and he's gone into a, a long sleep that he's he's going in. Uh, another thing, he's being pursued like it's such an yes. outlandish world. Like he's being pursued by you know corporation uh, police by different corporations and police uh-huh. and things and and all of that, which is very much the way that the subconscious beings pursue the dreamers yeah. um, so he could be dreaming like that there's there's a lot of evidence to suggest that he is the fact that Saito randomly turns up in Mombasa in exactly the right place in this random random yep. city in Africa and they just turn um, up in Mombasa right it's, yep the How fact that Saito there? can just make a phone call on a plane and be like yeah cool now you're going to this country uh, where you're supposed to be um up for murder and they're like oh no it's cool you can just come in now like how does Saito have that power Uh, it's all just a little bit too fantastic to be true Um, so I think it's all a dream but it might not be and who knows yeah go go watch as many videos as you want everyone that's watching and listening to this go watch see if you can make up your mind see if there's some really cool theories out there comment below if you want to I don't know. Yeah. Everyone's commented on all the other ones. Give us a little comment. <laughs> all right. Now. It's out there. We've got uh, we've got now our world famous segment uh, of hashtag what about when coming up right now. All right. Um, we've got an amazing contribution from a friend of ours uh, for this one. So thank you so much, Matt, uh, mm-hmm. for contributing to this. We're just going to use your what about when's for this episode to save a bit of time. Uh, and then we'll add the film to the movie calendar. Now, I don't have them in front of me. I sent them to Terence. Are you able to read out Matt's what about when's? I am. That was Lee's little way of Terence. We're just reading Matt's. Don't bother with any of yours. No, but a lot of mine are what Matt's is. And I, yes, time. Mine, mine right. are the same as his. So here we go. <clears throat> My best reading voice. From Matt. What about when's? What about when in the last scene, Cobb's totem is spun 
and it wobbles just before a cut to black. Damn it! Yes. Does Cobb get home to his children, or is he trapped in purgatory of dream? I think it toppled. So Matt reckons it toppled. Matt thinks that he, he's in reality. He thinks he's in reality. Okay, next one. Which what is about- fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the idea. That's the idea. The audience can make up their own mind. What about when they're showing Ariadne how they build dream worlds with architects? It's actually such a great scene to demonstrate how our subconscious works, even though our minds build dreams instantly. Such a great visual. Some of the best visual effects are in that scene alone. You're not wrong, totally. Matt. But we've spoken about it already. Incredible. Oh, the curling yeah. over street. Next. Unbelievable. What about when they have a gravityless fight in the hallway with no CGI other than removing the wires, of course. Behind the scenes footage is delicious. Yes, definitely. I agree. What about when that fight? It's incredible. And again, what an amazing scene. Cut the slow-mo of the the van spinning in with that. Yes. Next one. Last one. Probably an overlooked scene, but one of my most favorite scenes is... What about when the train appears out of nowhere, chasing Cobb and his team? It took a few re-watches to realize that the train is a metaphor for his emotional garbage and how messed up he is. Yeah, emotional garbage is a very apt uh, use of words when it comes to Cobb's mentality. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's messed up. He was quite surprised as well. Cobb's in the, in the cab and he's like, No, nah, damn, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. This stuff turns up everywhere. That, was, that is a brilliant what about when you said we'll only read it uh, what about what about when the chair topples back and the first time we see the kick and the slow motion fall into the water and all the water comes in in that yeah. uh, scene in Japan from oh. it's a brilliant use of visual storytelling it kind of it sets you up to let you know really early how the outside world affects the dream world mm. um, with little things like that it's super clever um, there's always one thing that really bothered me with the zero gravity section as, as amazing as it is yeah. but the fact that they're in zero G is because the van is falling right yeah. so they're, they're weightless which means that, that that level of the dream is weightless wouldn't that then mean because that level of the dream is weightless the next dream would be weightless so them in the snow why doesn't it affect that level like I don't understand mm. so I've, I've, I've always wanted to know the answer to that question if you know it and you've researched it because I haven't Please let me know in the comments below. I have no idea as to why it doesn't go two levels deep. Wow. Yeah, it doesn't. I'm going to I'm going to be you on this. You're asking the question uh, because it only goes one level. Everyone knows that. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. And it's a it, it's a movie. It, it it's fine. It doesn't have to make sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that for me is the biggest plot hole in the film. Wow. Um, yeah, no. I only had one one what about when and it was what about when we see Mal die uh, and how she framed Cobb for her murder. Um, it was just such a powerful a scene and, and Leo's reaction yes. Cobb's reaction to seeing his wife wife die like that right in front of his face was just so real and raw um, an incredible performance mm. that was good did you notice in that um, in the scene where the van okay first kick van hits the hits the railing and starts the free fall right when it when it hits that's when we, st- or between that and the second kick is when um, Arthur has to set up the charges and collect all the weightless bodies, tie them all together, run them down the hall, put them in the lift. I, I In the little bits that I was watching before we filmed, that entire sequence goes for 20 minutes. 20 minutes. It was unbelievable how Nolan drew this whole idea of time not having a concept and and you not realizing how quick things go 
just by intercutting this slow motion and having these three levels play with each other 20 so minutes i couldn't believe it i was so i was blown away just unbelievable unbelievable yeah. couldn't someone it's an incredible up film. a goddamn beach that's a great absolutely line well. yeah that's such a good line it's one of my favorites <laughs> um yeah absolutely brilliant film uh we've talked about it to death mm. uh this would be a film that uh you should watch every single year and we're going to give you a date to do that right now when Lee? Um, when if you if you have any uh ideas for films for us to do on the calendar and when they should appear uh on certain dates um please let us know we are on twitter and we are at instagram we are at the movie cal we have an email as well if you'd prefer to do that or you can dm us as well they're always open our email is the at gmail.com uh links to all of these in the description below we have a website to the moviecalendar.com uh, feel cool. free to check out all of those um, we'll have a calendar up on the website very soon um, we've been talking about it for ages and uh, we, we, we're, we're building it it's in the it's in the works we're all still pretty young uh, I have to say uh, our what about when contributor Matt he knows this no one else knows this he's actually I'm going to give it a shout out he is uh, massive in helping us with the website right now so thank you thank you Matt got to give him a little bit of credit where credit is due he never asked me for this so I hope he's okay with us mentioning it so he's helping us big time with the website thanks Matt yes no special favors for getting on the show with the what about wins for that either it was just the only contribution that i got <laughs> all right so well the date let's talk the about date the date that yes. we have chosen uh for inception to appear on the movie calendar is going to be september 25th on the screen and the reason for that was yeah, because wow. we didn't receive any contributions and there's no kind of alluding to when this film kind of takes place and there's no certainly no calendars or anything in this film that I saw at least. Um, I, I honestly did a quick search. I was like, I wonder if there's any days of the year that are specifically relevant to dreams and dreaming. And lo and behold, there is a World Dream Day. And so September 25th <laughs> is World Dream Day. And the tiny bit of research that I was able to do, it's all about... Uh, that day is all about sort of jotting down and trying to realize your dreams uh, and bring them into reality. Um, so not so much about the actual dreaming process itself, uh, but I thought that was apt enough. So yeah, it's uh, September 25th for Inception. Nice date. Very Yeah, I thought so apt. too. That's very cool. Yeah. And now, a uh, really cool announcement. Um, because we've had, to, we've had to record these episodes in advance um, because we're about to go on holidays. Um, Terence is leaving tomorrow after this recording, I believe, or the next day. Uh, often, you're off yeah. off on a on a holiday, uh, which will be very very uh, very nice for you uh, and very well deserved. I must family. say, family out here. You do yes. a, a lot of hard work, um, both in your real life and here on the podcast. Uh, so we're about to announce our next block of films yes. for the month of September. Uh, so we've got four weeks to fill in there. And so this is going to be the lineup in this order. So week one in September will be... Uh, uh, will be um, so we kind of... I wanted to host a competition um, to be like, uh, who's going to get to be the first one in the month of September? And I'm very excited to say that the winner of that was La La Land. Oh, hang on. Hang on, Lee. Wait, that doesn't sound right. Um, are you sure? Are you sure it's La La Land? Oh, thanks. Oh, thank you. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's right. I've got my sealed envelope here for, okay. for it. Yeah, it didn't sound right. Have a, oh, I'm so sorry. There has, there's been a mistake. Um, La La Land is, it's not the winner. It's Moonlight. Moonlight! 
Alright, congratulations. The, the first the first episode in um uh in in the month of September that we're gonna do is going to be Moonlight. Oh well, how how embarrassing of us. Wow, if only we rehearsed it and knew exactly what was coming up. That's terrible. And I almost confusing forgot. things in front of us. That was so good. Thank you for doing that. That was my that was that was so well um, done. Seamless. So yeah, the f- the first uh, first week uh, in September will be Moonlight. Then will we uh, by Barry Jenkins. Then will we be doing um, Ex Machina, uh, followed by the Farewell, uh, and then ending the month with uh, Jurassic Park. So yes, very excited for all of those films to be appearing on the calendar and to talk about them. A couple of which Terence actually hasn't seen. Uh, so he's taking it on good authority that they are good films. They better um, be. I certainly think that they are. And well, they're going on the calendar anyway because I love them. Could be a one-man on show, Lee. If there are a couple be, of these mind. I'm not big, a big fan of, it's going to be welcome to the movie That's calendar. Fine. I'll have to I'll have to blot out my image in the graphic at the beginning. I can happily talk about these films on their own merit, but no. So that's it. So yeah, tune in. Uh, thank you so much, uh, everybody. Uh, if you're still here, um, if you yeah. made it to the end of the episode, <laughs> um, most people would kind of cut off by now. We can kind of say anything we want right now. No one, would, no one would ever know. Um, but no, tremendous thank you uh, for for listening um, and all of your contributions so far with the movie calendar. We've had a, an absolute blast. Thanks, uh, Matt. Forward to for what about when? looking forward to the future of of the movie calendar looking into september yes um yeah share it with a friend if you think they'd enjoy it subscribe uh on youtube if you're here or leave us a like would help us out or leave us a review Mm -hmm. uh on your podcast app of choice uh is marvelous as well yeah jump on insta have a look i try and regularly update that leave comments give us some uh some ideas uh and comment below on the uh, youtube clip as well yeah keep the conversation going yeah, we've got some really cool ideas uh, in the pipeline for for videos and things. So uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time. Cool. All right, Lee. All right. Thank you so much, Terence, for you another wonderful so episode. Very yeah. cool. And we will see you in a well. It's a few. It's gonna be a few weeks for us. In but, our uh, dreams. It'll be next week for you. See you in, in the dreams. dreams. Dream well. <laughs> Bye, everyone. See ya.